Comprehensive, relevant, and insightful conversations about health and medicine happen here at MedStar Health Doc Talk. Today, we're discussing advancements in treating early stage and metastatic breast cancer. We're talking today with Dr. Claudine Isaacs, a medical oncologist at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, who specializes in the care of women with all stages of breast cancer. Dr. Isaacs, welcome to Doc Talk. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with what role can immunotherapy play in the treatment of breast cancer? So immunotherapy is something that has been around for quite a while in the treatment of other cancers, but it's really found a space uh, relatively recently in the treatment of breast cancer. And so far, uh, in terms of what we know, we know that it has impact uh, for some women with metastatic, what's called triple negative breast cancer. So it's a breast cancer that is negative for the hormone receptors, the estrogen and progesterone receptors, as well as HER2. So we know that a subset of women with metastatic triple negative breast cancer derive benefit from immunotherapy when it's given in addition to chemotherapy. And much more recently, we have shown uh, that women with earlier stage triple negative breast cancer uh, derive benefit from immunotherapy when it's added to chemotherapy. And and that's true for for the majority of women actually with early stage triple negative breast cancer. So it's really important to be aware of that uh, because the way that this treatment is given is actually given prior to surgery. And, and we used to typically uh, do surgery first on most women. So if somebody has a triple negative breast cancer and they've just been diagnosed, it's really important for them to ask their doctor, should I be thinking of treatment? Should I be going to surgery now or should I be thinking about systemic or whole body treatment now? So speaking of treatment, making it individualized to each patient, have there been any recent advances that will allow us to be more individualized in treatment with women in early stage breast cancer? One of the things that we're really, really focusing on in, in the treatment of, of cancer in general is trying to be much more individualized, trying to, you know, the concept is that we want to give the drug that makes sense for that person and that person's tumor and omit all the other drugs that don't make sense that aren't going to have benefit but have toxicity. So we actually are making tremendous strides in that area. I, I think one of the best examples of this is when uh, for women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer that's localized to the breast or to just a few lymph nodes in their underarm, we now have a test that we do on the tumor. If the tumor is hormone receptor positive and HER2 negative, we have a test that we do on the tumor to help us decide if there's a benefit for chemotherapy in addition to hormonal therapy or endocrine therapy for their breast cancer. Um, what that has allowed us to do is to be a lot more individualized in terms of things and spare huge numbers of women the side effects of chemotherapy when there's no benefit for them. So it's really imperative now, and it's become very standard of care in this country, that if a woman has an early stage hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer to send off for this test on the tumor that's called the Oncotype DX test or the 21 gene recurrence score, all these tests have more than one name. And use the information from that test to individualize our treatment and to say, okay, um, we know we're going to give endocrine therapy for that patient, but do we also need to give chemotherapy? And, and it's really revolutionized how we do things. So certainly that's one aspect of things that has gotten much more individualized. We are also trying to increasingly individualize other treatments. So there are lots of clinical trials that are trying to figure out whether we can dial down some things in terms of treatment. So again, avoiding the toxicities of unnecessary treatments. And then we also recently have data from some trials that show that for the women 
who don't have as good a response as we would like from the what had been the standard treatment, that if we modify our treatment, if we change things and add another drug, we can significantly reduce the risk of recurrence. So it's we really are getting much, much more individualized. We're not where we want to be yet. We want to ultimately be at a point where we look at an individual patient and their tumor and have tests that tell us that, you know, we should treat with, for that person, we should treat with treatment A, B, and C. And for somebody else, it's D, E, and F. And for somebody else, maybe they don't need any treatment whatsoever, any systemic treatment beyond the local therapy. So that's our ultimate goal. But we are we are much further along this process than we used to be. So what you're saying is it's possible that each patient that we see with a breast cancer diagnosis could potentially get a completely different treatment than the patient before or after them. That's the goal, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's not it's not necessarily completely different treatment. Um, we're not there yet, um, but we are at the point where for many types of, of what we call early stage breast cancer, and when I say early stage breast cancer, I mean breast cancer that is confined to the breast itself, as well as the the nodes in the underarm area. So that's what we mean when we say early stage breast cancer. And in that case, what we're trying to do is our treatment is focused on increasing the chance for cure. We typically treat women with both surgery and whole body treatment, what we call systemic or whole body treatment, because we have shown uh, decades ago in a number of clinical trials that that was the best approach uh, for this. Um, and we have, but what we're learning and what we're doing in terms of individualizing is that we are learning how, um, you know, which women can be spared certain categories of treatment. Um, we have clinical trials and at MedStar Georgetown, we have some, you know, really interesting clinical trials that are trying to get even more specific than that and trying to look at specific targets in the tumor and see whether we can dial down some of the other therapies. But right now, if as standard of care, we're thinking about broad categories for individual women. We hear the terms early stage breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer a lot. Can you kind of tell us the difference and and what do those two mean for patients? So early stage breast cancer refers to breast cancer that is confined to the breast itself or also the lymph nodes that are on the same side as, as the breast tumor. That is a breast cancer where our treatment is geared to increase the chance for cure. Typically, women will get what we call multimodality treatment. They'll get different types of treatments, and they'll see different types of specialists. So in, in the case of early-stage breast cancer, we're typically talking about uh, treatment, surgical treatment for the breast and also sometimes for the underarm area. Certainly, if it's invasive disease, there is some surgery there. So that's where things like sentinel node biopsy are done. Sometimes radiation therapy is part of the picture. And then often there is systemic or whole body treatment that is done as well. And that can be done after surgery. And increasingly these days, it's being done before surgery in certain subtypes of breast cancer. So when we say early stage disease, we're really referring to disease that is confined uh, and has not spread anywhere else. Metastatic breast cancer refers to breast cancer that has spread to other organs, to other places in the body. And that could be places like liver, lung, skin, bone. So it's, it's breast cancer that is spread beyond the local area. And in that case, we are typically most focused on treating in the whole body, treating with systemic therapy uh, for the breast cancer. And local therapy has less of a role in that setting. Are there different subtypes of breast cancer as well? There are uh, different subtypes of breast cancer, and it's, that's very important to know because our treatments vary. So 
typically when the pathologist, you know, looks and makes a diagnosis that there's breast cancer, they also typically do a number of other tests on the tumor to see whether certain proteins are present in the cancer. And so the ones that are typically done are, are what's called the estrogen receptor and the progesterone receptor often gets abbreviated as ER and PR. And, and if the tumor is positive for that, we call it hormone receptor positive. Um, and then the other one that is typically done is HER2, which is another protein that can be present in excess amount on uh, about uh, 15% or so of all breast cancers. What's so important about knowing the breast cancer subtype is that we have treatments that are specific for specific subtypes. So it's important when you meet the medical oncologist or when a patient meets the medical oncologist, they're going to be looking at that because that's going to dictate the types of treatments that might be effective. So for instance, we have drugs that have been around for a long time that treat hormone receptor positive breast cancer, drugs like tamoxifen or anastrozole or a variety of drugs. And those are drugs that act to block those receptors. By blocking the receptors, what we're trying to do is sort of turn off the tumor and prevent it from, from growing and multiplying, which is what we're trying to do with cancers, obviously. We're trying to, we're trying to get them to shut down. And then for HER2-positive breast cancer, uh, we have a variety of HER2-targeted treatments. They're typically IV treatments, most commonly, although some are oral. And they're typically given in conjunction with other treatments like chemotherapy. There is another subtype of breast cancer that people hear about, and that's what's called triple negative breast cancer. And it's defined by the fact that it does not, that tumor doesn't have estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, or HER2 present on it. We are trying to figure out that sort of a, uh, a definition that, that defines something by what it doesn't have. But we are also working hard to define targets within the triple negative breast cancer. And I think over the next number of years, we'll start to not no longer have what's called triple negative breast cancer, but have a variety of subtypes there. But our current main subtypes are hormone receptor positive, HER2 positive, and triple negative. Tumors can be both hormone receptor positive and HER2 positive. And in cases like that, we treat women with both endocrine blocking therapy and with HER2 targeted therapy. So let's dive into one of the ones you just mentioned, hormone receptor positive metastatic disease. Are there any new developments in the treatment of that specific kind of breast cancer? For hormone receptor positive uh, HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer, we have had a variety of hormone therapies that have been around for a while. And we have also had a number of chemotherapy drugs that work very effectively in that subtype of breast cancer. More recently, there has been a class of drugs that has been developed that is often used in conjunction with the hormone therapy. So in conjunction with drugs like anastrozole or letrozole or drugs like that. So there's a class of drugs known as CDK4-6 inhibitors, and there are a number of, of drugs within that class as well. And what studies have shown is that if you combine the hormone therapy and the CDK4-6 inhibitor, women have, it's likely that somebody's going to get a response, and it's likelier that the response will, will last for significantly longer with relatively little in terms of added toxicity. So the CDK4-6 inhibitors, drugs like uh, ribocyclib or palbocyclib or bemocyclib, are all drugs that have been FDA approved and are typically used in the first-line treatment. We have some other newer drugs that have also been developed, again, looking some of the hormone receptor positive uh, metastatic breast cancers can have uh, changes in a specific protein, okay? So we have other drugs that target that protein. So that's why for many patients with, with many different cancers these days, we're sending the tumors off uh, to be profiled 
to see whether there there are any changes in the in the tumor that we can attack with specific drugs, trying to hit sort of the Achilles heel of the tumor. So we have a number of new targeted treatments. And most recently, we had some new chemotherapy-like drugs that were that were shown to be highly effective in a subset of hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Um, our world has gotten even more complicated. I know it's a really confusing place for many people, but when we say HER2 negative, and when we traditionally said a tumor was HER2 negative, what we meant was that it it really just didn't have a significant excess amount of the HER2 protein. But recently there's been a drug approved, a drug called NHER2 or TDXD that's been approved um, that is effective not only for the tumors that have significant overexpression of HER2, but also tumors that we would have traditionally called HER2 negative, but they actually just had low levels of this HER2 protein on it. So that's a new drug as of just a few months ago that we really have available for our patients. And then there's another drug that was just approved that, again, targets a specific protein. So we're developing these other types of drugs that I think of as, they're called antibody drug conjugates. I think of them as smart bombs. What they have is they have an antibody that recognizes a protein on a cancer cell and attached to the antibody, attached to that drug, there's a chemotherapy drug. So the antibody finds the target, which is the cancer cell, gets taken into the cancer cell. And in the cancer cell, the the antibody, the drug gets digested and the chemotherapy is released in in the cancer cell. And so that's this new class of, relatively new class of drugs. And there's certainly more and more that are becoming available for our patients. So it sounds like the good news for patients is that one, like you said, the number of options they may have for treatment is growing, but also the number of smart therapies and therapies that are less harmful to patients potentially are also growing. Absolutely. Let's back up a little bit in the timeline from treatment back to diagnosis. When and how might we consider genetic testing in women with a breast cancer diagnosis? And how does that impact how we go about creating a treatment plan? So genetic testing is really an integral part of what we do uh, for women with uh, breast cancer. Um, we know that about 5 to 10% of women who develop breast cancer will have inherited something that, that predisposed them to developing the breast cancer. And when I say inherited something, I really mean inherited. There's a, there's a single gene where there's a change in that single gene that increase their likelihood of developing breast cancer. The one that people know most about are BRCA1 and BRCA2, but there are other genes as well. What we now know in terms of genetic testing is that for women who do carry a a mutation in BRCA1 or BRCA2, for example, that can impact their surgical decision-making, their local treatment. Women who have a mutation in BRCA1 and BRCA or BRCA2 who have developed breast cancer are at increased risk of developing a second breast cancer. So they might use the information that they have a mutation to make a decision about their surgery. Do they just have a lumpectomy and radiation or because they have a mutation and they have an increased risk of developing an entirely new breast cancer, do they choose to have bilateral mastectomy? So that information is important at initial diagnosis for surgical decision-making. And we now also, in terms of whole body treatment, we have a class of drugs uh, that has been approved for the treatment of individuals who carry BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations with a variety of types of cancers, including breast cancer. So for instance, for women who have metastatic breast cancer, um, it's important to know whether they have a mutation in BRCA1 or BRCA2 because we have a class of drugs known as PARP inhibitors uh, that are particularly effective in that setting. 
And also, we recently have results from a very large clinical trial that shows that there's a benefit for PARP inhibitors on top of standard treatment uh, for women who have higher risk early stage breast cancer who have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. So it it becomes very important uh, for a woman with breast cancer to know whether she carries a mutation in one of these genes. And and the things that that tip us towards thinking that somebody should have testing is either because they have early onset breast cancer themselves, uh, they have a family history of breast cancer or other cancers, and um, they also are certain groups where we think about doing genetic testing regardless of patient age and regardless of family history. Um, The second part of genetic testing is that what we really want to be doing is avoiding somebody actually developing cancer. Okay. So it, we don't want to be figuring it out once somebody has cancer uh, because we'd actually like to be doing something to prevent or reduce the risk of a healthy person who carries a mutation in one of these genes of them developing a cancer. And so that's that the what we'd what we often do is we detect it in somebody, unfortunately, who already has cancer. But one of the important things to do is then to offer that testing to other family members so they can do something. And we now have good data that we can we can make recommendations for increased screening or some prevention measures for healthy people so they can actually avoid developing a cancer. Or if they're going to be diagnosed with a cancer, it'll be diagnosed at an earlier stage when it's likely to be more curable. And just to give a concrete example for that, we recommend, for instance, for women who are healthy, who have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, which not only predisposes to breast cancer, it also predisposes to ovarian cancer. And we're not as good at screening for early stage ovarian cancer. So what we recommend for BRCA1 and BRCA2 carriers is that they have their ovaries and fallopian tubes removed in a preventative fashion. Typically after childbearing, the conversation starts at age about 35 or 40, depending on the type of mutation. So it's that's important for us to know for our breast cancer patients as well, because we want to prevent them from getting a subsequent ovarian cancer. But it's really important for that information if somebody tests positive for a mutation in one of these genes, to share that information with family members and to have healthy family members go ahead and get genetic testing to see if they've inherited that mutation. We're hearing more and more about women with early stage breast cancer being treated with chemotherapy prior to surgery. When might that be considered and what are some of the advantages of that approach or treatment? So we talked a few moments ago about um, individualizing therapy. And one of the ways that we can individualize therapy is by treating upfront with chemotherapy and sometimes some other types of therapy. That way we can actually see how the tumor responds to the treatment in the person. You know, if somebody goes to surgery first, then, you know, yes, yes, it's great. The tumor's in the pathology department, but we can't tell then if the treatment that we recommend and give actually has an impact. So increasingly, and this is really important to know because this is is relatively new, for women, any woman who has HER2-positive breast cancer or triple-negative breast cancer who has either positive lymph nodes in the underarm area or has a tumor that's at least two centimeters, the current standard of care is to recommend to get chemotherapy prior to surgery. And the reason we recommend that is because we we can monitor our treatment, we can see response. And also we have important, really important information that changes, our treatment changes after surgery if depending on the response that the tumor had. 
So if the tumor is gone completely, we know that the outlook is fantastic for that woman. If there is still some residual tumor, we know the risk is higher for that woman. But we now have information from clinical trials that tell us that if we change therapies or we do a different therapy, we can further reduce the risk of recurrence. If we hadn't done the chemotherapy up front, we would have not had that information. We wouldn't have been able to give those women who didn't have as great a response as we wanted. We would not have been able to give them a different treatment that for many of them would have been life-saving. So it's really, really important that we do that. It's also the other advantage of doing chemotherapy or whole body therapy up front is there are lots of clinical trials, including a number that we have available at MedStar Georgetown that are looking at new treatments in that setting, as well as going back to the concept of we used to have just a set recipe that we gave everyone. Again, what we're trying to do is figure out, does do people need everything and can we reduce something? So sometimes some of these trials are trying to look at well, maybe if we treat with uh, treatment A and B first and the tumor really looks like it's gone, maybe we don't have to do our standard treatment C and D. And so that's what's being looked at in the setting of a clinical trial. We have a large clinical trial here at Georgetown, knows the ISPY2 trial that is looking at that. And that trial is open at, at MedStar Georgetown and will also be open at MedStar Washington Hospital Center in the next number of months. We talked a minute ago about HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. What are some of the new developments in treating that kind of breast cancer? So we have a lot of new drugs that um, that have recently come on the market uh, for the treatment of HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. Um, that is an area where we have had really very effective therapy for, you know, a decade or two. Uh, but it had been a while since we had had new drugs that came on board. And in the last couple of years, there have been two to three new drugs that have been approved that are highly effective for the treatment of HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. There are also a number of trials now that are looking at, you know, what's the best sequencing for these new drugs. But what it means is that we have many new highly, highly effective options to treat our women, our patients who have HER2-positive metastatic disease. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today, Dr. Isaacs. We hope you've enjoyed learning about advancements in treating early stage and metastatic breast cancer. We've been talking today with Dr. Claudine Isaacs with MedStar Georgetown University Hospital in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Dr. Isaacs, for sharing your expertise here on MedStar Health Doc Talk. For more information on breast cancer treatment at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, visit medstarhealth.org slash services slash breast dash cancer. Or for an appointment with Dr. Isaacs, call 202-444-2223.